I believe that um, a, a definition we should consider about regenerative agriculture <clears throat> is along those lines, which is we as farmers, uh, our role is to enable those systems to self-organise themselves back to a state of health, to self-heal. That was Charles Massey, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally, and their continuing connection to country, culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series... I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. G'day, this is part two of the Farm to Plate Exchange conference put on by Regionality um, in Bow Desert and also on the evening of this of this second day at the uh, Kurumba um, Winery and Lavender Farm. Uh, I was able to drag away from the festivities uh, Christine Manfield, uh, Charles Massey, Chris Eggett, uh, Matthew Evans and Shannon Kelly for some chats in the little chapel here. It's a beautiful, you haven't been here, it is amazing, this sort of open-air chapel. Um, perfect perfect spot to be uh, chatting with some of the presenters um, of the uh, day two and some from day one of the Farm to Plate Exchange. Um, really enjoyed this style of interviewing, short and sharp, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And just before we slip into the show, I just want to tell you about the uh, latest raft of biodynamic workshops that we have released. Uh, we've got four dates for you. The first one is on June the 15th and 16th in the Central West New South Wales at Capertee Valley. Our wonderful hosts there, Terry and Stuart, uh, and they're from, from the paddock. Check them out on Instagram. They're, they're fantastic uh, in Glen Alice. And also um, a couple of days later on the 17th and 18th, uh, we'll be in the Hunter Valley at the wonderful Crinklewood Biodynamic um, Vineyard there um, with Oscar and his team. So we're very um, keen to uh, get um, as many of their um, club wine club members there as well. So maybe sign up and uh, get yourself there. Two other dates um, then in July. So those ones are in June. These next light, uh, dates are in July. We're the uh, 19th and 20th in the Western Downs in Queensland. Um, Adele and uh, Philip Hughes have been fantastic supporters of regenerative agriculture there. Um, through uh, well, well for some time now, and also through the Lock and Hughes Foundation, um, which we'll be talking about in due course. Um, we met them at I met them at Aubrey, and um, they're just fantastic, lovely, lovely couple. Um, and also then on the twenty second and twenty third at the Sunshine Coast with our good buddies Mitch and Nina Bray Bray Farms. There, um, they'll be wrapping up our sort of winter series uh, for two days, the twenty second and twenty third. All those tickets are available on our website, so go to the bio, go to the website, do whatever you can to get onto our tri-booking site. Early bird tickets will um, are not going to be around for very long, so jump on board, get into and onto one of our biodynamic workshops as soon as you can. Is that going? 
<laughs> it is now. Right. <laughs> it is now. Okay. You might just say that again. Is that going? <laughs> you may have recognised that voice <laughs> from such well-known shows as Strange Story and probably heaps of others. I right. can't, can't even recall right now. Yep. Charlie Massey was one of the keynote speakers here uh, yesterday with Bruce Pascoe, who I was had the pleasure of um, interviewing um, quickly yesterday before we had the duck oh, off. Oh, good. It was awesome. Isn't he good? Yeah, so are we watching that? No, you do what you do even want. Look at me, look at that. Okay. Just, right. don't, just, pick, natural. just don't pick your nose. <clears throat> just be natural. <laughs> natural. Okay. So how good's Bruce? I think um, I've, I've got to know Bruce. I've got a huge amount of respect for him and uh, he just speaks from the heart and um, on behalf of his people and he's such a, a national asset in my view. Um, he, What I found about Bruce was his – and you've – yeah, you know, um, done some work with him, and and you've you've heard, I guess, the, you know his theme. <clears throat> but for those who haven't heard him, what was really um, strong and, and persists in his theme is this is this refreshing um, uh, attitude of we don't want you being you know all, well all of Australia you know, but really that's why it is being feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling because that's actually not very useful. You know, we actually want we we, we got to do something. Together. Absolutely right, and <clears throat> what. He's proposing, which I think is the, is the pathway in. And, uh, and I just met some people from a new organisation called Native Foodways the other day. <clears throat> but Indigenous people developing businesses out of the food they know best, their own bush tucker on country, getting them back, uh, <clears throat> in this case, for better or for worse, it... it it's giving them uh, livelihood and income, and it, so it's you know into the modern world of business. But I think um, that is a crucial pathway. Um, you know, love it or hate it, they're, they're, they're encaptured by the European global capital system now. And if they can start um, making businesses out of mm. their knowledge with bush tucker, and um, and, and get back some of the territory that's been stolen. By that I mean that uh, the value add of Australian bush tucker is about $250 million. They're only getting 1%. So they've already been robbed right from square one, even in this new area. So I think it's... And that's what Bruce is doing with Black Duck Foods. And now we've now got this other organisation, only been around about a year, five foundation, might be six foundation directors. Uh, only one is European. And uh, I had a yarn with them the other day, and they, they're really looking now to leverage partnerships with farmers where Indigenous people can come on all sorts of combination of arrangements, but grow, harvest food. Mm. And uh, I think they, the possibilities are, are really excellent. And um, I, I think most of us farmers, we, we don't utilise all our land. You know, we've got tree breaks at home. <clears throat> we've been talking to Bruce and there's lots of beautiful soil there where yam daisies used to grow, the old you and women down at Eden. We've said, look, go for your life. There's acres and acres and acres you can use and only too happy to help. So, And we'll probably formalise other arrangements. But uh, I think uh, it's a win-win for everyone. <clears throat> and we both know, and you've worked with um, Murray Pryor. Hmm. Um, he's been working with um, Paul House with a you know not dissimilar I guess you know private um, arrangement which you know I don't know all the detail of but know enough that it's that's going to be awesome you know that that as a 
call it a blueprint or a, a model for this sort of um, uh, land management relationship building um, model, model, I think it's a wonderful thing. It is. And, and look, it's a touchy issue. Mm. Um, Take that off. I don't like the echo. Um, <clears throat> it's a touchy issue because your family and my family bought their land legally. Mm. But when it's all said and done, we're still living on stolen land and there's been no apology, no reparation. And so I think it's ethically, morally beholden of us to um, engage with these people as a way of starting that reparation journey and some you know, allowing them access um, and other mechanisms. Let's jump to you had a, um, uh, a fantastic, and I, 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 I hazard to use the word definition, but I'm going to, for want of a better word, definition of regenerative agriculture. Mm. Which was awesome, you know, because there's so many variations and people get a bit uppity about, oh, no, that's bloody wrong and, you know, it's all – people get a bit um, industrial about it. Yeah. Can you that, give us that's your – That's why I've, I've sort of started and I floated it to Paul Hawken the other day who's doing the big sequel to um, Drawdown and Regen Ag. It's called Regeneration and it's coming out later in this year, 26, 27 languages and Regenerative Ag will have a big role in that. Mm. Um, see, what I went back to uni nearly 40 years after I'd been an undergraduate to do my PhD. And, and so that period since I'd been there, we'd had the rise of the computer world, electronics, and, and from that came a, our understanding of, of how systems work and particularly complex adaptive systems, which is how the earth functions, how our landscapes, how our farms function. Uh, if, if you encourage them, they'll start to operate the way they were designed, but if you go aggressively ploughing and spraying and stuff, you're simplifying the whole system. So <clears throat> that all modern ecology, or, or the best of modern ecology, let alone other thinking in different parts of how the world works, we now understand it through this lens of complex adaptive systems, which is you do something here, it'll react um, with it, if it's negative, it'll react. If it's positive, you're enabling it to function like it used to. So I believe that um, a, a definition we should consider about regenerative agriculture <clears throat> is along those lines, which is we as farmers, uh, our role is to enable those systems to self-organise themselves back to a state of health, to self-heal. Because uh, I, I had to teach uh, um, complex adaptive systems to master's students, and it, over a couple of lectures, it took me bloody months to get my head around it and a lot of research. <clears throat> and there's about 12 characteristics uh, of a complex adaptive system, from things like keystone species to, but to others. But the two ones that really interested me were the concept of. Um, capacity of a, of a system to self-organise itself back to a, a state of stability or, or growth or health. And it does that because lying within that system are what are called emergent properties. So they're there. Mm. And if you do the right thing, um, uh, you will enable them to emerge, if you like, and, and to start to work back to health. And, and I'm, I'm just thinking about the issue of quorum sensing in soil. I mean, it's, it's repressed most of the time. But what's happening now through good regenerative agriculture, you're enabling that 
that idea of uh, of what we now know through quorum sensing, where the the microbes and the plants start to talk to each other for for getting nutrients for disease resistance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, to me, I, I think a definition within the context of self-organising systems takes away all the sort of negative threats and that sort of stuff because it's basic, solid systems thinking and, and ecology and. I guess that's why I've, I've started to float the idea. Well, I think it's wonderful because it's, it's sort of broad enough that you can't poke holes in it, you know, by going, well, you haven't used this word and you haven't used that, but it's, but it's, it's, it's actually really quite specific, you know. I'm a, I know that's sort of like... A, it's um, general but, yeah. and yet it's specific. Yeah, yeah I know what you're saying. saying. <laughs> no, which is a perfect definition yeah. because you can't, yeah. you know, because as I was saying, you know, people, you know, it, it's, a, it's a constant debate online. You sort of, you know, if you... If you're in those forums, of trying to define it, and people getting really quite um, uh, uh, upset by um, you know, both ends, people who who are trying to define it and go, no, that's wrong, and other people going, well, you really need to be as broad, and, and it's, I don't know, it's just one of those oh. things I don't need to do because it's just like, well, because from my my point of view, you know, the definition being that's called vague or broad is kind of reflective of regenerative agriculture in that it's about adapting. You know, um, a, a definition or something that that you that applies and feels good for you. Without you know, you got to be authentic about yeah. it. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and what's happening? I'm hearing the last month. There's now a lot of talk about uh, it's there's too many definitions and and it's starting to lose its cachet and all that. So I think it's t- it's important we probably get a one that's less threatening but sums it up. And and the two words self heal, and the third word enabling self healing. Mm. To me, within the, the concept of self-organising complex adaptive systems, is is an apt definition. That's, that's broad enough. Agroecology, yeah. mm. agroecology. That's one, but that that can be a bit too specific as well. Well, that's where I had a had a um, chat with um, Tammy Janus um, a couple of months ago, and she um, doesn't use the word regenerative agriculture and, and uses the word agroecology, which was interesting. That that um, in her mind. Um, there's a difference, you know. For it me, is. there's sort of like, oh, well, you know, that's... But agroecology just sounds like some form of ecology. We're also talking about certain practices within farming. So that's why I'm not denigrating. I think agroecology is a good term, but it's mm. it's more just like saying let's talk about ecology, whereas we're talking about a form of farming involving ecology. Mm. Um, you got all the answers, Charles. This is too bloody late at night to be thinking. Well, you, you clearly haven't had enough grogs. <laughs> um, tell me, um, oh, you know what was really cool yesterday about your, was it, yeah, you mentioned the um, the small water cycle, mm. which was which was fantastic um, and how important it is. Mm. That we, that we sort of, there's a, there's a whole lot of value there that is has been really been overlooked. We, you know, we, we look at, you know, um, climate change, you know, we look at large macro things and, and as farmers often we're sort of given the responsibility rightly or wrongly to fix the world. Um, this is a really, you know, like um, uh, property-based... Um, Something every farmer can Can, can understand get their head around and understand and do. Yeah. You know, can you, you run, us through, run us through that cycle, if you would? Well, if you will go for a walk in the morning when things are going well and you're not in a drought and you get drenched boots and, and the bottom of your jeans up to your knees, you know you've got a small water cycle working. And so really, we know there's two big cycles. There's a big, a big water cycle, which is what 
drag, if you've got really healthy ecology, the, the big water cycle, which is sort of continental, uh, you'll be dragging water in over a healthy landscape. If you trash that landscape, turn it into a desert, you're really exporting water back over the ocean. And listen to people like Walter Yana, about 70% of the controlling of the planet is actually through the hydrosphere, the water. It's not through... Carbon. Um, so much carbon, so that's another whole <laughs> issue. But <laughs> what, what we've, um, we've lost track of is, uh, and this is good science, we know what the water... The, there's the, the two cycles. There's the, the small regional on-farm local catchment cycle, the small water cycle, and then there's the big one. And what relates to us as farmers is the small one. So if you've got a healthy small water cycle in Australia, um, what you've got, um, so you've got moisture in the ground and got ground cover, um, you know, in an average season, not like a minus bloody 12 frost at home or something, but um, you've got at night, you've got about one foot or whatever that is, and you know, a third of a metre, of moisture sitting above the ground at, at about mm-hmm. a 99% relative humidity. It's just so moist coming out of the soil. And, and uh, you know, and the reverse of daylight photosynthesis uh, is, is occurring when um, uh, oxygen is being taken in and all those sorts of things occurs at night. Um, so when the sun starts to come up, uh, the pressure rises. And, and so that healthy ground with that small water cycle is, will absorb due to that pressure shift uh, you know, from dawn, will absorb about a millimetre or a bit more every night that you've got a small water cycle. So if you're really managing your land well, we're talking about 12 to 15, 16 extra inches of rain inches. every year. It's true. It's sort of no-brainer. That's double, that's double in a lot of areas in Australia, isn't it? Well, it is. Well, if uh, managed if you've you know, got theoretically, that. yeah. What's, what the problem is, though, is that the reason we had such good small water cycles operating in Australia was, was we had a lot of root fungus, microhousal fungi, and it was there and was maintained there and spread because we had our small marsupials, the betongs and the bilbies, those sort of guys with their little peaky noses, the bandicoots. Their peaky noses are because their favourite tucker is truffles, fungus. And so they would spread the spores. Mm. Every time they went for dig, they'd get, They'd be spreading spores next time they dug, and, and that was another key role in maintaining the small water cycle. We've lost most of those guys, but it doesn't mean we've lost the small water cycle, but it just means that if we're really going to get it back and have that extra bonus 10, 12, 14 inches, um, we need to manage our ground cover and our spongy ground and the root fungus in it a whole lot better. I guess that's a great example of those little marsupials being part of that, you know, that system, that small water cycle system, you know, that, that they are another layer of activity, dynamics um, uh, within that. That's a great example of, you know, a, 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 like, a, like a minor um, adaptive system, isn't it? it, it oh, absolutely. It's one of the components of a, of a self-organising system. Now, you know, you can simplify some of it. <clears throat> if you simplify too much, you know, we've lost most of those little mm. betongs and guys. But um, if you lose too many, the system collapses, you end up with deserts. So... Um, through good management, we, we can still have a good small water cycle even without the, um, the betongs. Maybe not as resilient, but we, we can have it. I mean, and you, mm. you've only got to walk on a well-managed regenerative farms and there's a small water cycle there. You get your, your boots and your jeans soaked. Well, that's what um, Bruce is saying. He wants, people, he wants farmers with wet socks. 
Exactly right. Um, projects. I'm just conscious of the time, Charlie. You've probably got main core sitting up there waiting for you to develop. I'm dying of hunger. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, don't worry about me and my cold pumpkin <laughs> soup there. Um, tell me one last thing. Any interesting projects you're working on that you want to share or in the pipeline or interesting little things you want to leave our listeners with? Oh, look, I- When's the next book coming out? When's the next chapter? Uh, I've got a um, children's book coming out in um, awesome. August, September, because we've we found one of Australia's. It's only the size of a little finger or smaller, uh, whereas marsupials at home, the uh, Monero elus dragon, now defined unique species. Um, and it's, we weren't the only, we're not the only ones that had it, but the, the scientists found a population at home, and, and that's the, the sort of salvation breeding program they've got at University of Canberra in case something goes wrong. Cool. And so I, I ended up writing a children's story, which is now going to be about it, which will be published by the National Library later this year. Awesome. Is it um, illustrated? Yeah, we've got one of Australia's best children's illustrators doing it, which is great. So it means I get half the money, but um, she's fabulous. That's fantastic. Mm. Um, so yeah. into kids' books, and um, I so, can't wait to... So important, isn't it? Oh, totally. Get them in the young. I mean, Absolutely. Bruce's book, um, you know, yeah. the, the Dark Emu, the yep. kids. I mean, that, that's, that's you know, that's at an age, if they're reading that, that's like, oh, okay, that's that's normal. Like, yeah. un- unlike when we were at school, where what normal, what was normal was was the was the old, well, not the original, the, the old version or the current version. Oh, no, these people wandered around. They didn't live anywhere. They didn't have No, parts. that's right. Boot them quite, off. Quite right. And look, as you know, I, I often show a slide about... Uh, Children on devices. Mm. Um, I mean, first of all, they're, they're, they're not strengthening their long eyesight, so there's got more and more children now wearing glasses, like a lot of the Asian population, because they're, they're, more, they're only seeing things much closer. Mm. Um, but we've got to get children back outside and um, playing, you know, toddlers, babies playing in the dirt, mm. ingesting bacteria to stimulate your gut microbiome, your resistance system your long vision, and just engaging with nature. And, and so maybe um, books about nature, are, which there are some really good ones, but uh, I might end up doing a series along these lines that, that engages them with, um, in, in a sort of fictional type way, mm. but, but not straying from the biology, engages them in um, getting them interested in nature again instead of devices. Improving their biome. You mm. heard it first here on The Regenerative Journey, Charlie Massey's new series, Behold it. Behold it to you I wouldn't now. go that far. Yeah. Available in all good bookstores in 2024 yeah. or something. Charlie, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Um, happens too um, rarely. And thank you for your contribution, not just to the conference yesterday, your your presence, I'm pumping up your tyres, I know, but your presence here has really um, stirred a lot of people up because it puts the whole conference into context. You know, if you're here... Then they go, shit. This is this is good, you know. And they, what you said yes, uh, yesterday, and I also know um, and appreciate the time you put into this whole. Um, uh, I'm not going to well, I'm not going to say the word movement. I just did, didn't I? This whole this whole thing that we're we're on this this train we're yeah, on journey. and. The journey we are, look, yep. the journey we're on, um, having you, you know, front and centre there is, is, a, is a wonderful, you're a wonderful advocate. So thank you for the, and I know how much time you put in and I know what sacrifices you make. So no worries, mate. I mean, it. I can return compliments. We need our... No, my trans- ties are big enough. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we need our translators and our storytellers. I'm a storyteller. 
but what you're doing is telling the stories through another medium. So um, it all works together, mate. It's like an ecosystem. We're, we're self-organising. And our mate, yeah, <laughs> we are without even knowing it. Or could talk about it. But just a quick one. Our mate David Marsh, he made a really good point the other day, and he said, you know, going to conferences, dare I say, like this or anything else, you know, others and you know, farmers stepping into this sort of forum, it's, it can sometimes be not necessarily comfortable or they're sort of, you know, they're seen and mates go, oh, you went to that conference or mm. listening to a podcast. No one needs to know. No, that's right. No, it's, it's a wonderful medium and I know it's having big impact, so uh, mm. good stuff. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. Um, look forward to catching up with you next time. Okay, mate. Good on you. Okay. Christine Manfield, this is your life. Oh, kind my of. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> no well, pressure. How long have we got? <laughs> um, oh, look, as long as you need. No, we've, we've been given 15 minutes. Okay. 15 to 20. We might squeeze the 20 in. Actually, I would like to um, track you down for a proper one one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is sure. that cool? Absolutely. So, um, sorry, we're, we've forgotten we're, we're recording. <laughs> um, we are, we're, we're at, um, we're at a, a winery. Oh, that's terrible now. That's, that's not very good, is it? Oh, I've just been enjoying the view of the lavender and, and the, the winery we are, where we are. You've had a couple too many wines. No, I haven't. I had I had some of the delicious. Um, oh, where has it gone now? Is it there? There you go, Kurum. Kurumba. Yeah, Kurumba Lavender Farm and Vineyard. It is actually spectacular. I was spent the first half an hour taking photos, mm. and and it was, it was awesome. Pretty amazing, isn't it? With the- with all the mountains around the that, It's right. I mean, no wonder they call it the scenic rim because there's serious mountainage all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we going to talk about? Oh, you know what? Let's talk about the conference, Farm to Plate Exchange. Yeah. What are you? What was? What, what were your thoughts? Any um, any sort of nuggets? I've well, I've got to say that um, it was really inspiring. It mm. was a lot more than I thought it would be, um, and I was really. Um, pleased with how on the money and on the page everybody at the conference was. Um, I expected there to be maybe a little thread of conservatism going through, given what, you know, traditionally what what the farming community can be, but um, it's, you know, it's it's really heartwarming to see see that um, there's those, you know, thought leaders out there that, you know, that are obviously impacting their communities and doing and doing great work. Was was inspiring. And just to... F- f- I don't know what that... What is that noise? <laughs> it's a truck behind us. We're so on t- a farm. It's a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> we're on a farm. I haven't even got the video straight. Look at that. What a dodgy <laughs> operator. And we're in a ma- an amazing... It's a chapel. Yeah. It's, we're at the chapel. Don't get any funny ideas. No, right. look, you know, I thought if it, you know, I've got, I've got something to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> it's appropriate. Um, no, it's awesome because there's actually no, there are walls, but there, 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 there are no walls. Hollow walls. Hollow yeah. walls. And there's a, um, an amazing, um, how do we go? Timing is perfect with the ute just, yeah, just about pulling to in. pull it in there to, to drag the, the, the beer cart away. <laughs> um, but it's an amazing setting. Everyone's just moved up. We just, just heard um, uh, Matthew Evans and um, regale us with his journey, yeah. of, and they've all gone up there for, for Dindin. Um, now, so any other any other sort of standout, without sort of being accused of favouritism, any other standout sort well, of um, I've, peeps? I've got to agree with... Um the one of the guys this afternoon, not Shannon, the one that spoke. Alex, with, uh, Alex, yeah. Alex, yeah. He said the the girls have wiped the floor. Oh, totes. And I just 
think it's great to have that sort of you know gender equity um, and to have such powerful voices because it sends all the right messages and it um, you know it's just great role models for everyone that was in the room totally um, and you know about possibility and you know just getting in there and you know seeing what you know collective forces of nature we can be what can be done yeah. and, uh, and as a real theme there was a, for me is a theme of that in the conference and which was a, a, well appropriate's the wrong word it was actually refreshing and it was it was relevant and it was uh, it was awesome but in you know, talking to a number of people over the last couple of months yeah, there's a real theme there mm-hmm. well, not even the last couple of months last couple of years yeah. it's like they like the chicks. They got the they got it yeah. all going on. You know? And um, you know, any time you just think, oh, you know, nothing's happening anywhere, you've just got to look outside the, I guess, the traditional platforms or the norms, mm. and and you know, this is where it, where it's all happening. But that doesn't take anything away from any of the speakers. Um, mm. I mean, you know, for Bruce to get up there and just talk off the top of his head nonstop for forty minutes is awesome. Oh. And every single thing he said was just so on the money and um, and so relevant and so it just set the tone for the whole thing. And then you've got that backed up with um, incredible scientific knowledge and experience with with uh, Charles mm. Charles Massey, and um, and then it just just went on from there. It was just you know. So so those it was a really good way that, that the Rose and the girls have put it together that they had Bruce and Charlie the keynote setting the scene and then backed up you know all up from mm. you know the rest of the day and and and, and yesterday that what they were and then today with living breathing examples of that kind of agriculture that kind of attitude mm. that kind of food production mm. it was awesome we're giving them a yeah. bit, we're pumping up the roses tires a bit but, aren't we no totally and you know just and it is about joining those dots and for for people seeing the, the direct connection and relationship between farmers through to chefs because mm. yesterday's one of the some young one of the young um, people in the audience uh, who was from a farming background said you know they feel a disconnect with chefs in their community and you know I said trust me we're out there and there's a lot Look, and looking you know a lot of our tribe doing some great that? great work who can and, we connect um, do you remember where they were from no um, and it was you know so it was good to be able to prove that you know, I think by you know listening to all the different people, and then also people like myself from from the other side of the the flip side of the yeah, point, the like other side, end of the who who have worked tirelessly to you know to to um, to build those communications. Let's talk about you. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Pick a topic. You went to. Um, you told me yesterday you'd just been come back from somewhere pretty exciting. Yeah, Northern Territory. Yeah, yeah. so I to talk about that. Um, Excuse me, people. <laughs> Instead what? of you know taking people um, globally on little food food safaris or food adventures, I now look in my own backyard. So, Tweed, the Tweed region, I've done a couple, and um, so farm. It's about connecting food and farm. So they're food and farm trails. Um, and they're four days because um, people can just it's an easy thing to organise um, and so I took one last week up to Arnhem Land mm. and through into through into Kakadu yeah. and um, so that was you know and just bringing in in the um, all the elements of their place of where you are you know so you're up on the on the coast of the, in the floodplains 
so it's very wetlands. Mm. So we ate off the floodplain. So we had, you know, barramundi and buffalo and um, and um, crocodile. Nice. Um, in the menus, we're yeah. outstripping paperbark off the malaluka trees in in the in the wetlands to wrap the fish to bake oh, in coals. You know, yeah. that's just those. They're what I call primal experiences. Mm. Um, and it's good for city slickers because they're all from the city um, to sort of connect with the bush Um, and because of the location being not that far from Darwin you know it's a 40 minute flight east that we were Mm. um, and spending the first day and night in Darwin and it's got very strong Asian culture and the the night markets on the beach, yeah. All that What's sort of what stuff. are they called? Um, Mindle, Mindle Beach. That's it. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah, so we do all that and let everyone go off, and they can, you know, buy whatever bit they want. Um, on the um, one of the days, <coughs> pardon me, at the um, at the lodge, I cook laksa, um, just because Darwin has a laksa festival. You'd, you'd, you'd cook a pretty good laksa, wouldn't yep. you? Um, <laughs> And, you know, some of the people in the group were sort of slightly older and you just mm. look at them and you think, mm. but they were anything but conservative and just, just sort of got it. And then we do a... I always... any Anything that travel experience I do now in Australia has to include a day of um, um, immersion into Indigenous culture of the area. So yeah. that was Kakadu. So what about a com? Because that's it's sort of like, you know, yummy tucker all day and then... It's luxury, darling. Is it? Yeah, so well, glamping? Mm, or is it, is it glamping? It's, or is it's it? glamping. Well, it's it's a permanent camp. It's called oh, nice. um, um, Bamaroo Plains. Yeah, cool. Um, is so, that a private sort of... Yeah. Yeah. So you've got an arrangement with them, do you? Yeah, I work directly with the owner. Yeah, nice. Um, and really nice staff and stuff. So, so I've been up there a couple of years ago and worked out a really good program of things mm. that we could do. Um, with a group, and uh, were you doing any of the indigenous um, experiences prior to COVID and prior to sort of focusing on 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 Australia some more? I mean, you're going overseas. No, um, yeah. I've done a couple of um, um, foodie trips to Tasmania, mm. um, but no, that was that was about five years ago. Yeah. Um, no, most of it, my my heartland really in terms of travel and and um, food safaris is India. Yeah, but. You know, that's where I went to once or twice a year yep. because it was so popular and, and um, it's a country that people feel afraid about um, exploring on their own. Right. And, you know, not armed um, adequately to, to know how to deal with it, whereas to me it's like second nature. Well, I guess there's the, there's the not the fear, but there's sort of anxiety about the travel, where to go, mm. who is, and you know, by mm. myself or with group or whatever. But also then, the, then there's also food. You know, there's sort of food's amazing. Well, the know, food's just, amazing, but people yeah. go, oh, you know, I'm going to get crook or you know, yeah, the no. street. You know, I guess that's just some sort of. Myth. And you can get crook eating McDonald's in America. So, totally. You know, or probably totally. more chance of that than um, yeah, anywhere call. in India. So my one of my things is to take people onto yep. the street yep. to eat street food. Um, but and I overcome have, that fear. Yeah, and yeah. I have a fantastic um, support network yeah. of um, ground, ground people that work with me in India, yeah. so I can, you know, um, and every time I go, um, so for 22 years I've never done the same itinerary. It's always been, it's always been different. Um, you're going to go back to Arnhem Land? 
yeah, you do, yeah, do course, some yeah. more. Yeah, and what about um, uh, in, like the going west to Kimberley or anything else? I've, I've, I've got to. I always do really good recce's myself before I take people. You know, <laughs> got to do the homework. Go, you probably got to go like six times to <laughs> yeah, really exactly. work. <laughs> Um, if you ever no, need someone to like hold yeah. the plate, that do you then taste something or hot the baggage? Okay, I'll put you on the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, there'd be a pretty big list. Yeah, I'm taking a group next week actually oh, to um, the Flinders Ranges and um, Volpina. Oh, that'd so, be unreal. Um, that's going to be pretty special because for me, that's that part of Australia has got almost equal um, spirituality to um, Uluru. Yeah, and I can't remember. I was talking to someone about that the other day, or Rebecca Sullivan. Actually. Yes, and she, um, we're doing a we're doing a lunch with Rebecca. Oh, unreal! Yeah. She's eight. Yeah, she's fantastic. So those sorts of and having that sort of private experience, experience that you're yeah. not going to get just as a regular traveller. You know? And it's you know, I guess there's there's that authenticity, which is probably an overused word, but really it is about you know. Going to those places that you don't can't go, you know, usually go. Connecting with those that mm. aren't, you know, it's mm. not their sort of, not necessarily their core business, or that's the, they're not on the commercial bandwagon. There's like a really sincere reconnection with yeah. it, with it all, which is exactly, awesome. and just and it just builds on the story, and it just um, it makes my life easier, you know. So for mm. me, writing any sort of itinerary wherever it is in the world is about connections, you know, with with the right people and that they're going to give the guests the right message mm. about why they're there. Well, they're there. Um, what else did I have for you? Oh, we've got minutes left. This is awesome. We actually run, are running a bit late, aren't we? It was, um, it's just the way it is. And excuse, again, the, the ute that's been dragged away. <laughs> the beer... Um, the beer's gone, no. The beer cart. <laughs> um, what else... <sighs> What are any other nuggets from, from, the, from the last couple of well, days? I just, yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's, you know, been so many connections that, um, that I can follow up on and I'm, and I'm sure that's... Have you a, been to one? Did you go no, two years ago? No, yeah, okay. No. I, met, I met Rose and Renee when I got up here last year. Yeah, nice. Early last year. So, yeah, so my purpose when I moved to the Tweed was, okay, this is my new backyard. I'm making it my life mission to go and meet everyone in the area. Um, so farmers did. and producers, so I spent, you know, going out everywhere and being introduced to people. And, uh, why, the tw- why the tweed? Because it's the Good beach. call, by the way. Yeah. Like, I reckon that's unreal. <laughs> but like, We love the beach yeah. and um, it's warm. We like yeah. warm weather as opposed yeah. to living south of Sydney. Yeah. Um, it's close to an airport if we need to hijack it out of, out yeah. of town. You know, yeah. we'd have to drive for hours to get to the airport. Um, and... It's the most extraordinary, fertile... Re- I love the mountain. I love mm. Wollongong. It's all really close too, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you're on the beach and then... Yeah, everything's there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a really fertile food bowl. And, mm. um, and it's been underrepresented. And, um, totally. So it's time to, you know, get people to wise up about it. Is there, is there some... Um, uh, well, I guess there's a freedom in doing what you're doing now as opposed to... I mean, was it, when was the last time you actually you ran a restaurant? Eight years I closed. Oh, I so closed eight years ago. A, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's wonderful being a freelance person, being, you know, unencumbered, no That's staff. Because awesome. um, you've got a good rep. Yeah, so if I, if I need to, you know, get people to work with me, it's, yeah, it's I've, easy. I've not had a problem um, yeah. with that. And, um, and you get to do really fun projects, so, mm. so I know I can pick and shoot. I, I call it cherry picking. I get... To do exactly what I want, and uh, and as I said, you know, in in my talk to Savo, I'm really inspired 
by the the Gen X, the younger ones, and mm. you know, just working with them is just like a you know, all over the country and everywhere. It's like a breath of fresh air. How how are you? What sort of forum are you working with with the young? Uh, usually, um, more often than not, it has been um, doing like a pop up where I go in, yeah. um, sort of. I don't call it taking over, but I work in their space with them and. And Being a restaurant or yeah. a, or a, yeah okay cool often more often than not in yeah. a restaurant um, I've done other things like picnics and whatever they're just you know like events mm. um, but I'm not really a caterer so I've got to, yeah. I really need that support of a of a restaurant team if you like to do mm. yeah. and um, and so win win for yeah. both of us you know oh totally yeah is there any any for our younger listeners who are thinking of stepping into that that space because we've got I mean I'm sure we've got quite a few farming listeners who are young and sort of there's a few here today um, any sort of tips that you would give um, you know those stepping into that into the culinary field um, <laughs> that you know that you could you, you to, could pass I look, on you have to, I think the reason that they're, they're the two noble things because you have to be you know as crazy as you know both both are crazy you know it's a crazy lifestyle it demand. It's not a job. It's a. It's a. a li- yeah. You have to commit to a life, because um, there's no, you know, cutting off and and walking. Like away. I don't feel no. like going. Yeah. It, no. <laughs> it's you're on and um, and it just builds an incredible resilience. And so I, the, I can I totally get the synergy between mm. both ends of the, the spectrum. Um, Matt had a f- funny thing to say, didn't he, about the the chefs he he worked with thirty something years ago were either. Food criminals or criminals? <laughs> is that right? Was that's, that sort of? That's is that about right? Reasonably accurate, and <laughs> and it's probably still vaguely a tiny bit true yeah. um, today. There's that element, but I think the culture of restaurants and our industry has dramatically changed for the better. Yeah, oh, yeah. totally. You know, where yeah. you've gotten rid of a whole lot of bad practice and bad attitude. Mm. It's not. To- I imagine no. it's not tolerated as much. And I guess <laughs> chefs are so much more in the spotlight, literally, and whether mm. it's on telly or, you know, the, the restaurants that have more open... I love those open plan. I have no idea. I, I, and I <laughs> say this to my wife, who's a, who's a, she's a fantastic cook and she's not worked in a restaurant kitchen, but she understands, as no doubt you do, the timing and the whole organisational mm. thing, mm. it just screws with my head. I look in a kitchen and they're going... They're reading out the orders... I mean, you're probably laughing, going, yeah. "What a dero!" But I, I, I am totally in awe yeah. of how that even works. It's just—I used to say to my team, "It's like, um, it's like the curtain's coming up, and we're going to perform." You're on, and it's a choreography and minimal. Uh, okay, that's good. Minimal ch- chit-chat because mm. people are there to to work to focus, so you don't want to stress them, ruffle them, you know. They play their part. Yeah, yeah play their part, and also, mm. you know, we say just cook with love. Put it on the plate. You, is, that, is that one of your mantras that when yeah. you for the yeah. young the yes, young ones? Day, if you cook when you when you're stressed or really uptight or angry, you can taste you can it. You taste it. Mm. Actually, Matt again. Um, he mentioned that just before, didn't he? He mentioned about um, uh, I can't remember. How I wrote a little scribble down here. Something about I love the way he said it was just the taste, soul of the food, yeah. soul of the grower. Yeah, yeah. You can taste, taste the soul the of the soul. grower. Yeah, and that's and you, and as a as a cook, you want to honour that. You don't want to mm. go in and screw it. Um, so that the integrity of the product should come through even after you've cooked it. That's that's a quite a responsibility, isn't it? Mm, totally. 
And I think that has, you have to have the smarts to be able to to confidently be able to do that. Mm. Um, I wish you'd been the cook at my boarding school because <laughs> I don't know the tucker that went in there was much good, but gee, when it came out the other end, <laughs> it was a bit like Matt saying everything was, yeah. everything was grey. Um, we're going over time, but I don't care. Um, projects, any sort of projects that are coming up that you want to talk about? or you know? um, I've got a new book coming out this year. Awesome. Mm-hmm. When? So I've spent a lot of... Oh, it was, <clears throat> pardon me, I did a bulk of it last year, but I actually started it about two and a half years ago. Um, and it was off the back of um, Tasting India being the second the second version, so mm. a different edition. I've got to get you to sign my yeah. copy before yeah. you go. Um, being released, the, mm. um, um, I was asked to write a um, like a cooking class manual uh-huh. for <clears throat> Indian food. So mm. it's an Indian cooking class. Mm. And so it's a step-by-step. I hold your hand, walk you through the process. That's cool. With all the pics of, you know. I need, just, I need and, that. Yeah, and it's just basically opening your pantry. So it's pantry staples. It's nothing. It's not posh. Too fancy. Restaurant food or mm, anything mm. like that. This is real, you know, gutsy, hearty. But cooking with spice because that's my, you know, that's my starting point. Mm. Um, and I think um, it's even more... Important and pertinent, I think, this year, given the the uh, overriding racism against Indians in this country. So, and um, for for a place that is like my second home, yeah. um, as some of my friends say, you know, I was born with a bindi on my head. Mm. Um, I get it, and um, so yeah, I'm just there to you know to share the love. But this this particular book, as opposed to Tasting India, is. Is a is written for a contemporary Western kitchen. Yeah, cool. So it's, it's a tra- <coughs> sort of like a translation yeah, in a yeah, way. Yeah, so it's my interpretation awesome. of the flavors, mm. and you know, they're, they're sure they're tweaked and this, that, and the other. There's, there's a, there is you can reference the tradition, but it's how it's changed. Um, whereas tasting India, I didn't mess with the recipes at all. That's how I collected them from people all over the which all is over cool. The That's respectful yeah. of the yeah, you know yeah. Um, and you, you, I guess you know you're going you're to go back. You hope you can get back there. Oh God, yeah, yeah. yeah. I suppose I'm, I'm hitting, getting up to the Himalaya as soon as uh, as soon as possible up yeah. to the mountains. Yeah. Well, I for one would love to go with you there one day on one of your tours and on um, land and Flinders and anywhere else you go. Please. <laughs> that all sounds awesome because I I just love the idea of um, immersion. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, Sure, I can introduce you to some good people to talk to along the way too. Oh, totally! Yeah, yeah. let's yeah. do that. Let's do yeah. a tour. Yeah, I can interview you, and then I interview them, and that's awesome. Yeah, and cook some good food along the way. And we won't do all one though. It's a secret, it's a secret. Um, you're a legend, Thank and you. I'm so appreciate your time, Christine. And we, I better wrap it up. Yep. That's rude. I want to do more. Um, I've got Charlie Massey coming up next. He's oh, awesome too. Like yeah, I've got, yeah, yeah, I've got a isn't few. Isn't he brilliant? He's awesome. Huh? Yeah, he's really, <laughs> he's very funny. How good was he on Australian Story? You know, that just, awesome. that. Awesome. Yeah. I can't believe some farmers went, oh, that's bloody bullshit. I know. You know, I just can't believe that sort of resistance. But it really did um, crystallise um, the the issues mm-hmm. for a lot of people that hadn't con- hadn't even thought about that um, before. Really compelling, mm, isn't it? Totally. And just yeah. his manner. I'm pumping your mm. tyres up here, Charles. But um, just his manner. He, I don't think he listens yeah. to podcasts anyway. Um, but it, just the way his approach and his his manner and his articulation, mm. it's like I can't. Yeah, 
Anyway, yeah. um, we're, we're, no, we're really blessed to have him as an yep. ad- advocate for for, mm. um, for for what well, I guess you know. At the end of the day, it's it centres around food. It's how it's mm. produced. It's where it's produced. It's just a lovely mm. synergy we're talking about exactly. at, at the farm to plate exchange with here. soul, with soul, farming with soul, eating <laughs> yep. with soul, eating with reverence. Yeah, love it. Okay, we're gonna go. Um, that was awesome. Great, thanks thank for you. your time. Bye. Bye. Chris Eggett, welcome to the chapel here. Uh, Feeling very moment. holy. <laughs> you might remember, you might, you might, uh, listeners, you might remember um, or recognise Chris's voice from one of the episodes in season two. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was season two of The Regenerative Journey. Chris Eggett there, Warhope, Ox Hill Organics, legend. Mate, that was an awesome interview. You got so much, deservedly so much um, wonderful feedback. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what do I just say? Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. I'm probably tired. I mean, it was, it, was good, it was good fun doing it, and um, I guess it makes you reflect on what you've what you've done and have a bit of a think about, you know, what what else there is to do. I suppose there's, there's a long way to go um, with what we do. Like, obviously, what what we're doing and what other people are doing and uh, regeneratively is um, yeah it's good it's just good for the environment and good for people we were just reflecting on walking down here now um, on the conference the vibe it's a pretty good vibe isn't it oh yeah it's massive yeah it's because um, you went to the first one two years ago you got the first one yeah I was yeah, yeah I went to that didn't know anything about it it was like a, a spur of the moment decision to go there and um I think what I got from it was um, just people really cared what what, what they ate um, and where it came from, and it really vindicated what we're doing. Um, I guess when you're on the farm all the time, you don't you don't really get out and um, um, see that that much. Um, so I guess it was like an education for me um, that yeah, people do. Like you care. know, respect farmers mm. and, you know, respect what they're doing and, um, you know, appreciate where their food comes from. And, and I suppose there's a realisation that what they eat is going to change how we farm into the future and, and, th- and that's going to f- affect our environment we live in. You know, it's going to affect our planet. Well, you... Um your your move into um, organic, you know, dairy farming and regenerative dairy farming, <clears throat> that wasn't it. Wasn't like you had customers going, "Hey, I reckon you should do this." It was a totally different. It was a different catalyst, wasn't it? Oh, for sure. It, I I guess we were like a bit desperate. Like, um, like our farm was pretty crook um, from all the chemical use and whatnot, and um, like with dairyation. You know, we, um, we're going to be told what we're getting for milk from the supermarkets, basically. And it, um, yeah, it was pretty dire, I thought, at the time. And we're just lucky we had an opportunity to to go organic. I didn't know much about it. I didn't respect it, to be to be honest. Um, I, you know, I didn't really think that much about the environment. I just thought that was for people like cuddling trees and, and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It um, I had a different focus. I was young. I was, you know, I was more worried about who was playing in footy next week. Really, <laughs> <laughs> and but yeah, once once we started and 
um, and got into it. You know, there was other people that were doing it and, you know, we could see a real benefit in it um, for ourselves. So, and and then beyond that, like, yeah, I used to, like, you know, we did holistic management and they talked about, you know, um, you know, the environment and economic sustainability and then they talk about social sustainability and I think, oh, what's that? How's that sort of... Tie into it, you know what What's I mean? What's that got to do with the farm? But yeah, yeah, I suppose I'm getting a bit older. And I don't know if I'm getting any wiser, but um, yeah, I can see it more and more. Like I guess when as, as you have kids and get a bit more involved in the community and that sort of thing, yeah, you can see that like long term, it can it can have a definite, you know, a really positive effect on on, on the social um, aspects. Social internally, as in family dynamics, and internally and externally? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. externally as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I was more talking, I suppose, about externally, but oh, mm. you're definitely internally. Yeah, yeah, as well. Often forgotten about the yeah. internal dynamics and the, the internal culture and so, social side of it. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know, the kids are growing up with, like, um, that's all they've known. Mm. Organic farming, you're like... Um, maybe they'll, they'll do it a different way. I don't know. I hope not. But I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, I, I suppose they've seen their mad dad and how passionate he is about it and jumping off the quad bike and diving into the soil and picking up worms and counting things and look at this, look at that. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, hopefully it's sort of rubbed off them in a, in a positive way. Mate, I, I've met your boys a number of times and I've got to say, you and Anne have done a magnificent job um, with the boys because boys aren't always easy to, you know, father and mother, <laughs> just because they, they aren't, but you've done a wonderful job. Really oh, they, they still have their moments, just ask one of their school teachers. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't know what's happening outside of the farm, but on farm, they're amazing. Now, let's, it's, and just to put um, uh, Chris into context, um, Chris was, um, spoke um uh, yesterday, oh, well, I'm losing track of time. Yesterday, yeah, yeah, yesterday, <clears throat> yesterday and I didn't get to have the pleasure of. I could hear the laughs through the wall um, when you were speaking because I was um, interviewing Bruce Pascoe, so I didn't get to see your presentation. But um, it was um, it was apparently, and I've no doubt, a wonderful a wonderful session. Do you want to give us a bit of a not not recite the necessary <laughs> <laughs> your thing? But what was the what was the theme for that session? I'm just going to scratch around here and try and find. It was. Um you know why we why we changed, um, and um, how we changed uh, with the farming practices, and and what what were some of those implications of, of the change? What what we've noticed. So I, I think I got up to um, why we changed. <laughs> Ran out of time before. Oh really? Like some of the implications and that sort of thing. Yeah, I didn't really get to finish the, the talk, but um, well, obviously I got a bit sidetracked and that sort of thing. So. Um, well, mate, you kept everyone um, uh, very excited. Now, what were we talking about coming down the hill here before? Because I thought, stop, we got we got to talk more about that. Was it the vibe here? Yeah, it was just like you know, very oh, supporting. Man, who so was very, very, um, you know, it's very positive. Like, everyone's mm. pretty happy, and the people at Regionality have you know, done an amazing job. Um, well, yeah, yeah bringing bring people together and. Oh, David Hughes, uh, Professor David Hughes this morning. That's how we, that's what we're talking about. Remember, yeah, that's remember right. you were yeah. just going, that was... We're, he was talking about, like, the global food industry and, like, the products and the slogans that are getting putting on food. Um, like, like health benefits of, of, you know, packaged food and, and that sort of thing. And they're big companies and, 
and also talking about you know um, you know plant based foods and that sort of thing and yeah I felt pretty depressed after it to tell you the truth like I just think oh my god look what we're up against um, but then as the days worn on and you know we talked to um, some wonderful chefs and talked to us about you know provenance and um, you know importance of knowing when your food food comes from and and then we had a couple of young blokes that have um, well, they seem young to me. Because um, <laughs> we're young. We, we're young. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they've, you know, replicated um, sort of Joel Sullivan's um, uh, teachings or, or farming practices and just blew me away. I just hats off to them. I couldn't, you mm. know. And both of them have come from a non-farming um, background and, 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 and dived into this farming um, caper and now they're just smashing out of the park. Is that like, is that a benefit? Amazing. Is that a benefit? You reckon not having a being coming from a farming background? Uh, yes and yes and no. Like, um, I no, I don't think it matters. Mm. Look what they're doing. Yeah, it's, no, it's, no, that's. It's, mm. I suppose they haven't got that baggage yeah. with them and that, and that pressure. Um, when when you're in a farming situation, it's been going like that for you know, generations and, and using those sort of practices and then and you you want to turn the joint upside down. Um, no no one likes risk that much or or fear fear of change, I suppose. Well I guess they didn't have any reference points for fear. We're talking about um, Shannon Kelly and Alex Sims um, who spoke and the yeah, they they because they haven't I mean I'm I'm only sort of speculating here, but because they haven't had the farming background, they've got no reference points for fear or boundaries or sort of expectations of themselves and others have of them to be doing yep. it a certain way. They're just going, right, Joel Sullivan, look at this, read his book, what's he doing? Let's just roll it, roll the, the meat birds, the eggs. Yeah, the I, 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 can, I can do this like that, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, um, the um, story from Alex, you know, like, the, sets, the setbacks he had... Like mm. most people would be just no way I'm not I'm not doing this, you know, and he and he's um stuck with it. I, I just mate, I found it like absolutely inspirational. I thought it was unbelievable what they've done. What was it what was his thing? I wanna I wanna <clears throat> interview him a bit later on. He had a um uh oh, what was his little the world needs you or something like that. At the end oh, I think there was something also about um, oh, the weather doing up there, a bit of hoo ha. They're probably saying, and the winner of the raffle is Chris Eggert. <laughs> and we'll have, have to do it. I can't remember. We had a, we had a great quote, <clears throat> or maybe it was, maybe it was, um, maybe it was Shannon, but it was like, you know, um, oh, I can't remember what it is now. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it out yeah, when, yeah, when I need it. Yeah. Any, any other gems from the from the from the last two days? Because this is you know the end of day two, our, our sort of final dinner. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, out of the, the first session, well, we talked about you know the, the first two speakers talked about a lot about observation, mm. and um, and when you when you farming like observe stuff like look at stuff look at the soil look at the plants look at what's going on in the ground I think that's more um, important than you know getting a soil sample and uh, getting it tested mm. and, and, and that sort of thing I think yeah observe, observe what's going on in the um, around you and the soil um, well just the environment around you I think that's just really important 
um, don't get caught too caught up on you know figures and facts and benchmarks and all that sort of thing that we tend to um, get worried about. So, well, it's hard to put those <clears throat> you know like soil tests into context if you're not observing and you, don't, you, you know you, well, you can't put it into context because you're sort of not really it's, it, it has limited relevance if if, you, if you're not observing you know other things in that paddock where that soil test came from and sometimes your soil test can come back that bad and you think well what can i do about it mm. like how much money can i throw at it and what's come out of today like big time is like just let the grass grow mm. that nature just do its job just give it a bit of time and you know, yeah and, and, and you know the plants plants are growing there to help to help fix it so that's pretty pretty so sort of, you know, I was sort of knew that a bit, but it really, um, yeah, reinforced it. Mm. Um, Charlie was talking to this before about um, the self-organising system or the complex adapt- adaptive system, which is nature, which um, as industrial farmers <clears throat> we don't acknowledge and we, 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 we try and um, uh, simplify nature by you know applying this and applying that and, and it's almost like a lab experiment you know you, you do this this and this and this and that'll be the outcome and that's easy because it's prescriptive and and and, and we we reckon we know what we're going to get out of it as yep. opposed to the letting go of that need to control yeah well there's a green plant growing there now it's dead yeah <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and and, and you've taught me that, that that if you put that on there it dies and then i'll teach someone else that that's it. And, that, and that's how it rolls. Look, They're not, not looking at the cause, though, are they? They're not looking no. deeper into the observing the, 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 the real reason it's there. Well, I think look, when you become an organic farmer, if you've got a problem, like a weed or something, well, you can't spray it. No. So you start looking at a different a different angle. Well, maybe this, maybe this plant can be a benefit to me. Mm. Oh, if I chop it down, that becomes organic matter. Mm. Or, oh, look, there's stuff living in it. There's... Bugs, insects, maybe they're doing some good somewhere mm. else, or mm. maybe there's a reason why it's growing here. Oh, look, it's got a pretty, you know, it's got a deep tap root on it. It's, it's taking nutrients up from down deep, and oh, it's only got a short life cycle. Look, a thistle grows and dies pretty quick. And it's got all these thorns on it, saying, "Piss off, don't touch me, or I'll hurt you." Because <laughs> I'm doing a job. Yeah, because I'm doing something here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then. Like quite often in their farm, we've noticed after thistles, like you've tremendous clover growth, um, mustard weeds, and things like that. You get like tre- uh, tremendous, like loosened growth after it, uh, chicory growth. Just seems after to thistle. Open, uh, after it, mm. yeah, it seems to open the soil up and does some sort of a job in there. Look at all those white roots in there. So obviously, you know, it's photosynthesising. It's green. I remember like Peter Andrews going on one of his things early on, and he said, "If it's green, it's good." Mm. And that's what, <clears throat> that's oh, often sorry. a thing. Oh, okay, it's pretty, it's not it's not hard. It's not it's not hard. Oh, a great quote from Bruce Pasco yesterday. Pasco yesterday was um, oh, I'm going to fuck her up. Says it's it's no harder being a good farmer than it is being a bad farmer. This actually doesn't take any more work. It's not as though oh, I'm not going to try good farming. And he, when he meant good farming, I, I, you know, he, he called it regenerative or working with nature more. You know, he just said it's no harder being a good farmer than it is being a bad farmer. And, and when he talked about bad, he's, I guess you know, he's talking about industrial industrial farming. You know, like yeah. what it used to be. It's, yeah. He's you know, it's no harder that what you do now. It's probably you're not putting your ear out. 
you're doing less, you're less inputs. You know, it's a different different style of farming altogether. It's not as though you got to take on a whole lot more responsibility and a whole lot more debt. And well, when you know, when when like Peter Andrews says something like "If it's green, it's good," it takes a lot of pressure off. <laughs> Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Does. Because you've got a few weeds in your paddock, and you're thinking, "Oh, well, bingo! He's a bit of a guru. Yeah. It's all right for him." Yeah. It's all right for me. He knows his stuff. He's been out for 40 years. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. So, mm. like, you look in your paddock thinking, oh, geez, they look a bit untidy and oh, the grass is a bit long and there's a few, you know, there's four or five different weeds that I should slash it. I'll go tidy that up. I'll go, yeah, give it a little Especially tidy the front up. paddock. Yeah, tidy the front paddock up and make it look good for everyone and make it look like I'm a good farmer. I mean, I don't, I don't give two stuffs what people think about the way I farm. If they go past my place, they've got stuff growing here and that, you know what I mean? Well, people love the way you farm, and I, I, it's, it's also evident here too, Chris. You've had a number of um, dairy farmers, you know, um, sidling up to you wanting some advice. Um, uh, understandably, that is that um, has that. I mean, is that giving you some um, confidence or some, you know, enthusiasm about where the industry might be going? Is that a good sign? It is. I mean, it's just the fact that they're here, mm. they've made effort to come. Something obviously, it's a bit different. And oh well, they met you before they met me, so you might have influenced them. <laughs> well, luckily they, well, given if that's the case, luckily they're even here, because you know they might have met me and gone, "You're no mate, I'm not coming to, <laughs> I'm not coming to something where you're at." <laughs> no, well, that, no, but so. then they went, "Oh, Chris Eggert, he's that legendary organic dairy farmer from Walk Hope." Walk, no, walk I, doubt, I doubt they haven't heard of us until I get up and did that. No, I reckon they've talked. They, 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 I reckon they listen. And actually, I did, was talking to a couple of the boys there yesterday. They that they had, um, they were avid listeners of the, of the of the regenerative journey. So no doubt they had listened to you. And they went, "Oh my God, Chris Egan is here." It's all about pumping up tyres tonight, mate. Thanks, Charlie. No, it's awesome. Uh, you know, they I'm, don't, I'm, they I don't am, get I'm, pumped up very often. No, well, I, they should be more <laughs> often because I have to say, I, I, the feedback I've got with your from that episode about your practices and the inspiration and and people, you know, often the response is, "Oh my God, it's actually, it's not that hard." You know, the way and the, the way you look outside the square, the way you've got your fungus highways using your chip for the road. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have asked me about that. Yeah, well, it's. Um, I guess a lot of it is pretty basic, like like I was trying to say, with the way we make the compost, just putting stuff on the yard, and the cows weigh on it, or piss on it, or whatever you want to call it, um, and they shit on it, or poo on it, and it absorbs it, it mm. holds onto it, mm. it doesn't go anywhere. If they're just doing it on concrete, it They've yeah, got to deal with that. Or go somewhere some else. Some pit or some dam or some... Yeah, or it just philatelises. Yeah. You know, like it goes into the atmosphere. Mm. Your farm smell good, I have to say. Yeah, well, that's it. That's what I say with the... Someone said about the compost. How do you make compost? What do you need? And all that sort of stuff. Well, if you start with ingredients that are not coming from a nitrogen-based... Mm. Like... Souped up, soup, Souped up, you... Um, Manure mm. that's come from high protein mm. or high nitrogen source in the soil. Mm. So, yeah, um, it gives you some flexibility. You don't need to turn it all the time. Mm. You don't need to worry about it smelling the neighbours out and that sort of thing. So, Funny you say that. We made some cow manure concentrate the other day at a, at a workshop and the, the, the manure was sourced from a dairy, a non-organic dairy, and <clears throat> I'd never really... Haven't been around those sort of cattle for a while, and it was real. It was pungent. It was it. It smelt like urea. It was a really rich, yeah, um, 
we still use it because I think it'll still make some reasonable good, reasonably good um, cow manure concentrate. But it was fascinating. That was just so um, you could really feel it in your nose. Yeah, the money comes through. It, you know? Yeah, totally. Money. That's it, of course. And so plus, you know, we're using you know things like biochar and that as mm. well in the feed, mm. and it's just such an absorbent product. So it only goes in the gut, mm. or if there's any toxins or anything like that, it's 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 been absorbed by the biochar. Mm. I'll just start using some of that. Yeah. I have to talk to my, my new mate, Stuart Larson. Yeah. Interviewed him last night. He's amazing, isn't he? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, he's he's been doing amazing things for years. Mm, and, and when I first, like I said in my talk, so when I first started, you know, I read books and I heard things and talked to a few people, but, you know, still hadn't seen, like, great grass or, mm. like, farming, you know what I mean? Like, an example. An example, and then, like, he sort of sold up to me and... You know, I said, come out to dinner or whatever that night. We were at this thing in Coffs Harbour and I went to dinner and I just learnt so much. And, mm. and then he said, oh, yeah, you can come to my farm. Mm. So I went and saw his farm and saw the crops and the cattle and the compost and all that and just went, wow, man, I just, mm. you want a piece of this? Mm. This, this can be done. Mm. Great example. Do you know? So I, I think, you know, from then on, we just like head down and bum up or whatever. And then, like later on, I suppose, you know, then I read the Reed Warbler, Charles Massey, and saw this amazing stuff all these Australian farms are doing. Because I mm. suppose, like, for 10 years, I just, was just on my own farm doing mm. my own little thing and not really um, getting out there that much. And um, yeah. Some great amazing, people. Amazing people in Australia doing some amazing things. I just hope, you know, the general public and people just get behind them and, and support them because that, that'll that show other people that it can be done and, mm. and we'll get a roll on. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get this thing going. We will. Let's crank it. Talk about cranking it. We've, um, we've outstayed. Well, you haven't outstayed your welcome. I have over overestimated how much time. Underestimated. I don't know what I've done. Ooh. We're 21 minutes, 22 minutes now, mate. I ought to grab the next victim. Getting dry. Dinner is underway. I might have to grab a chop on the way out the door there. Um, Chris Eggett, lovely to see you again. Always um, a pleasure. Don't get to see you often enough and really looking forward to the next time we get to run in, um, into you. Thanks, Charlie. Good to see you. Good man, Chris. Eggsy. Where did you know the Eggsy? Good. You know what I was saying about that biodynamic stuff? Yeah. I said, yeah, he used to do that all the time, didn't he? <laughs> Run around in the nude. He was destined to be a biodynamic farmer. <laughs> He's always been a weirdo. <laughs> Are you looking for more information to assist you on your regenerative journey? We've created an online community of supporters with exclusive access to interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions with Charlie and his interviewees, as well as the opportunity to be interviewed on the show yourself. If you would like to be part of this community or would simply like to contribute to the development of the podcast series, please make your way to patreon.com forward slash the regenerative journey podcast. We look forward to you becoming a member of the regenerative journey community. Let's get back to this week's episode. Good evening, Matthew Evans. Welcome to the chapel. Thank you. It's our, <laughs> our, we're reaffirming our vows. <laughs> we are, I've reaffirmed vows with four people already this, you this have, evening. Yeah, right. I feel a bit. Yeah, you are, you, 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 
<laughs> no, you're not. You're the you're my favourite. Um, you were regaling um, us all with your journey uh, a bit early this evening before it got cold. Um, in here, it was amazing. It was some great shots of you in the for those who are on the on the video machine behind us. There's sort of the opening uh, out to the beautiful scenic rim. It was yeah, an awesome spot. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when we got here. They said we were in the chapel, and I was like, oh yeah, some yeah. Yeah, some place. Yeah, some place. And they've got and they've got this. This is apparently uh, for those who probably can't see the video. There's a vine. There's actually no walls. Well, there are walls, but there's sort of see through. And there's a vine on there that is apparently a, the Hawaiian wedding vine or something. Yeah, I heard it was a Hawaiian wedding flower or something. But it's got this massive choco-like fruit on it, mm. which I'm sort of tempted to pull off and see if it's edible. But I presume <laughs> if it's still on there, it's not. Or if no, no, no one's selling no, it's it, really, it's not. It's really tasty. Oh, <laughs> no idea. Yeah, well, right. I, I want to see you, um, but. When I do know, because I've, I've seen this before, that when those um, choco-like um, fruit pops open, it's full of fluff. Oh, okay. It's a very fluffy thing. I think it's a seed, the seed, um, I guess, is somewhere amongst the fluff. We digress. Um, Matthew, you have been on my radar for some time now, and I'm, I'm stoked that I've been able to track you down um, here at the Farm to Plate Exchange uh, in the sunny scenic rim. And... Um, First impressions, or not even first impressions, because it's sort of the end of the second day. What are you, what are your what are your what are your the last impressions of the last two days of, of the conference? Any uh, any sort of nuggets of gold you've you've dug up and gone, oh my god, that's kind of cool. You know, well, yeah, there was lots of lots of gold, but I think that the, what struck me was the um, breadth of uh, experience of the, of the speakers and the way they put it across. Like we had we had grown men crying. We had. You know, people like when Bruce Pascoe's talking from his heart, you had people in the audience weeping, but then you had beautifully structured um, talks, you know, around sim- similar or related topics. And I guess that watching everything from, from a woman, you know, just out of school to to elder statesmen, you know, that whole range of things, that was what I think I loved the most, with a mix and the different styles, but everyone speaking from a place... Uh, you know, in the heart, really. And I love the way that the Rose and the girls had had, you know, day one was sort of more of the farming, um, on-farm kind of discussions and, and journeys, and then today was much more of a focus on, you know, post-farm gate, which I think is um, uh, was a wonderful demarcation. But as you say, you know, it didn't matter sort of old, young, um, farmer, chef. It was There was some wonderful themes um, throughout the couple of days, which I guess is the whole <laughs> yeah, if it was a bit disparate, it was like that was shit. Yeah, yeah, I know. I should have paid more attention to the name, but Farm to Plate Exchange. So you know, I, I was sort of thinking, why have they got me on at the end of the second day? I thought, well, because that is our mm. what we do is is Farm to Plate um, is our entire existence, and so I guess it was no shouldn't have been a surprise that I was asked to speak on the, you on sort the of, second day. You sort of like rounded it all up, didn't you? You sort of brought it all together. Yeah, yeah, I sort of, uh, I had a, a plan for what I might talk about and then I threw it out um, about midday on the second day, realising that um, <laughs> other people had done a much better do- job with a lot of those topics and to put it, I guess, a, a stuff a bit into context and try to cover some of the ground that had been covered before and mm. but maybe tie it into a sort of a personal story and a thread that maybe is relevant to other growers, food processors, people associated with the industry, chefs, um, yeah, what were some of the themes? Just to sort of summarise your fifty-minute 
preaching. You were preaching from the altar. I was here in the thing. But I didn't no. give me an altar, but yeah, yeah. I would have, <laughs> if I had an altar, I'd have preached from it. What were some of the, <clears> the, the the themes that you were you were leaving? You were finishing this conference uh, with with our with our crew here. The two hundred or so. I don't know how many people here. Do we know how many people? I here? think it was yeah, it was somewhere between one hundred and fifty and two hundred. I think A it was one hundred and eighty at the sort of. Maximum at the end of yeah, it, yeah. yeah they yeah. sold out, I know that. Yeah, yeah, huge numbers. Theme, um, themes, Matthew. themes that I spoke on. Look, I, I, I was trying to give it, a, I guess, a thread of why I got interested in food and why I um, uh, went from being interested in eating um, to being interested in soil. Mm. And I guess that that sort of sums up what I've been doing over my entire life has been interested in eating, but how that now relates to why I'm interested in soil and how that embellishes our. Um, well-being, um, emotional and gastronomic well-being, I guess. You told a great story about the moment it was the cup of coffee that actually um, was potentially a catalyst for for your your pivot. Oh, that word again! It comes, it's come up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't the, escape it. Yeah, no. I'm very, we're, we're all pivoting constantly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah. I, I guess uh, it was it was this moment where I. I I was drinking a cup of coffee and, you know, they could have told me which side of the hill the beans were grown on and, you know, that they were, you know, picked by, you know, virgins or whatever and and how they'd roasted it at 80 degrees for whatever. They could tell me everything about the beans. They couldn't tell me anything about the milk. And mm. this is in one of the most expensive restaurants in the country, probably the most expensive restaurant in the country at the time. And I, and I started to wonder about, you know, what, what we didn't know about food and why we didn't know it and... Um, and and this cup of coffee that costs about eleven, twelve dollars is about two thousand and one, probably yeah, twenty years ago, maybe eighteen years ago. So it's expensive. That'd be a twenty dollar cup now. Yeah, yeah, ridiculously, um, yeah, sort of uh, drug money, sort of spent on coffee. Um, why this fancy restaurant that served this cup of coffee at the end of this amazing meal, like a truly incredible meal? But why was the milk in that cup of coffee not as good as a mate of mine found by spending you know an afternoon in in an organic shop and a couple of supermarkets um, why did the, one of the best chefs in the land not know think that milk was important or you know had, mm. had, had not got that far in their journey personal journey of sourcing stuff and I started to wonder what why does, why does milk taste different for a start um, and do and, and as a result of that experience I guess also do chefs always have the best produce because um, that's what we were told and I used to think, I think I probably wrote that, oh, we have Australia's the best produce in the world and, <laughs> you know, Australian chefs are some of the best in the world and Australia's chefs have the best produce in Australia. So by definition, they, Australian chefs have the best produce in the world. When in actual fact, now after a long time away from that sort of chefy industry, yeah, they have amazing produce, but they probably don't have as good a produce as some uh, home gardener, mm. home cook has outside their back door right this minute. And um, even if the, the stuff outside the, the home gardener's back door is not quite as good, it's going to be so many days fresher even than the best chefs because you can walk out your back door, pick, you know, harvest your potatoes, harvest your carrots, harf- harvest your, um, your parsley, and 20 minutes later it's dinner on the table. And no chef uh, anywhere can do that what you can do as a home gardener and home cook. And I think that's my mission has been to say, yeah, yeah I love restaurants, I love good cooks, um, professional cooks. Home cooking is something completely other and it, it isn't worse. In mm. fact, it has the potential to be 
way, way better than anything a restaurant can serve because of the person cooking it and their access to the you know, soil that grows the best produce. You, know, they can, you can nurture the soil outside your back door better than any professional grower is capable of and, and the, the, the goodness in the things that you eat from your backyard are based on the goodness of your soil. You said a fantastic um, uh, little quote. I, well, I caught a quote: "Is you, that you? There's the soul of the grower in that food. You know, whether that be a really good, um, more commercial grower that's doing it organically or biodynamically, and that's been supplied to restaurants, or as you say, the home grower. It's just outside. Yeah, those friends who are lucky enough to turn up to that homestead and get a get a feed." There's that soul of the grower there. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. I, I, I remember watching a documentary. Um, it was on. French artisans years ago and there was a baker who slept in his bakery and there was a, an asparagus grower and um, it was a long time ago because the, 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 this asparagus grower talked in francs, not even in euros, it was probably the, the euro, the common currency and he was on camera, he was cutting the asparagus and he snapped one, he goes well that's cost four francs, I think mm. was, you know, like a, that's a dollar for that spear of asparagus to the grower that's how much he was selling it for and the film crew said, what you know, why um, you know what? What is it that you do different, or why? You know what, what? What is it about your asparagus? You know, do you think it's better? And he said to them, he just looked at them and said, "Well, you're here. You know, you're. <laughs> you know, he sold to the best restaurants in France, but but the reason his asparagus was so good because he was mm-hmm. taking extra care of them. So you could grow the exact same variety of asparagus in the next on the next farm, mm. not put in as much effort, not get as good asparagus, and the results of um, you know the the, you know, the soul of the grower as you as you um, you, you were saying that I, I, it's an expression I like to use. The soul of, of the grower is expressed. Uh, um, sorry, the, the ingredients. Um, yeah, the taste of the ingredients. Is, 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 it sort of shows the soul of the grower. It, you know, and uh, and then you know now I guess from understanding a bit more how food is grown, um, uh, the, the soul of the grower. Um, yeah, that that comes about through their, their they express it through their treatment of soil. Mm. So how you treat soil. You know, affects the produce you grow, which affects the flavour of the produce you grow, which is why some things taste better than others. And that's, you know, it's a beautiful opportunity for everybody growing food out there, um, whether it's in your home garden or commercially, mm. to know that you actually are in the driver's seat. You are actually in control of making food taste better um, than than. Uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe than other people, but maybe just tasting better than it did last year from your same. Mm plot of land which is the i guess the holy grail that as each of us grows stuff we watch the soil improve and the flavor improve improving the things that we we produce um and and all of those things that are in the food that we produce of course are, are only doing humanity good because they're more you, you produce more nutrient dense food as you do it you i think you're the only and this is not comparing and saying anyone else who didn't say this word was naughty but you i i, I picked up your the use of the word reverence today this afternoon, which is one of my favourite words in the English language, as a farmer, um, as no doubt you you are now after nine, ten years, ten. Uh, I've been farming for thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thirteen years at least, um, and before that, no doubt you had reverence for food, but now you have a reverence for landscape, and and you you've, you're releasing a book soon, which we'll get to. But I was really um, warmed by the use of that word because I think it's such a um, uh, appropriate is the wrong word is an inappropriate word to use in this point but it's such a um, a wonderful word to be to be used we don't hear farmers talking about reverence do we 
driven no. yearly revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is actually. It is a bit different. Yeah, maybe it was the chapel that inspired that term. I don't know. Um, I had a sense of reverence. You were looking like a reverend for a bit. Um, yeah, the, the, there's. Um, yeah, but I think this idea. You know, I think it's okay to revere things. Um, mm. You know, for a long time we worshipped. Um, you know, the gods of harvest and the gods of soil. And, you know, then we, we sort of said, no, that's ridiculous. You know, that, that's, that's not important. And, and the, I guess what I'm, where I'm at now with my love of the biology of soil and the life within soil is you can, I can't see the things. I have to, you know, I have, to have blind faith essentially mm. in the living things in soil and that the stuff in my soil has changed because I can test for some things, but I don't have the money to test for, you know, Everything and, and you know how many different species of bacteria and archaea and fungi and nematodes, and so I have to go on faith. And so it is, a, you know, it's having reverence in a different way. I don't necessarily believe in, uh, you know, a god of uh, of soil or a god of earth, um, but I might as well have because I have blind faith in the things that uh, exist in my soil, and I have a reverence for those things and for this. For the for the for the entire ecosystem, the underground ecosystem that provides me and my family not only with sustenance but um, uh, uh, but with joy and uh, and pleasure and all the and then all the micronutrients. You know, it's not just enough sugars or protein in, in the food we eat. Is, is, it, is it doing us the ultimate good that it mm. can do us? And so to revere that, why not? And revere the people who who also care for soil and and nurture things from it. Because essentially the nutrient profile of the soil is reflected in the food, isn't it? That's, the, that's pretty much the flow of, literally a flow of nutrients, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. beautiful things that happen in soil. Is, you know, if, how you treat soil um, gets, gets expressed in the flavour of it. So we all know, you know, I think, I think anyone who's grown anything and has put any um, time into um, uh, growing stuff from, from soil or, or been lucky enough to taste things fresh from good good earth, know that there's, there's a difference in flavour. And some of that might be the varieties that someone's used and it might be to do with the season. But there's undoubtedly, you know, on our farm we, we see over the years this consistent change and I have to say improvement in the flavour of mm. everything we grow, even if we grow the exact same variety of carrot or beetroot or whatever it is year after year. Um, and uh, the science is a little bit uh, slower to back this up, but there's really good evidence that how you treat soil affects flavour. And flavour, flavour is such a complicated um, measure, but flavour is an indicator of nutrient density. It's this beautiful thing that that that, that we, um, you know, that when you're tasting something in 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 good produce, uh, complexity and nuance and interesting um, interactions. That's an indicator of all these micronutrients that are essentially doing us good. Mm. Talk, so you've taken your your in, your um, fascination with soil to the nth degree now, haven't you? You've, you're putting all that together into a publication. We talk about that. Is that a secret? Uh, no, it's not a secret. No, no, I've got a book, a book coming out. Um, you know, it's funny trying to work out what what to call a book. I was got really interested in soil as a as a as a concept, as a big picture thing. You know, you, you know, you can talk out about cation exchange theories and you know, you know, magnesium calcium balance and all that kind of stuff in your soil. And I'm, that's great. Uh, that's really specific to certain growers at certain times. But I, what I was interested in was why are we excited about this stuff? This stuff underneath our feet breathes. The, the gases in the top 30 centimetres of soil ch- uh, are completely changed every hour. It's breathing. Mm. You know, a, a single 
uh, a handful, you know, a teaspoon of soil has, 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 can have up to 10 billion living things in, in a, a single teaspoon of soil. We, why don't we revere it? It provides 98 to 99% of all the calories that humans eat on Earth, right? So, and all the fibre, you forget, yeah, they've also got the fibres and, you know, the timbers and everything else that it provides for us. And why don't we revere it? Why don't we, why don't we praise it? Why don't we celebrate it? And then also... You know, when I'm re- researching soil, I discover Australia's lost, lost half its topsoil in 200 years since White Pillar arrived. So slightly over 200 years, but for a lot of the country, we weren't, you know, um, we hadn't um, settled um, at that point. So, so, you know, we've lost half of the bit, the magic bit that does all of the world's growing. We've lost half of it in 200 years. If you took the topsoil that Australia loses every year to wind erosion and water erosion, and you put it into a coal train, you know, these carts on a coal train, mm. um, that train would stretch around the world. This is every year we lose this much oil. Just in Australia. Yeah, it would stretch around the world 15 times. Jeez. It would go around the world 15 times. That's how much, you know, it's, it's something like uh, 2.9 billion tonnes of topsoil is lost from Australian land every year. It's insane numbers. Mm. And anybody who looks at this, knowing that this tiny, thin veneer of earth that does all the world's growing, we have lost half of it in 200 years, has to admit that what we have done and what we are doing, um, to a large extent still doing, is ruining the land that feeds us, Mm. the land that clothes us, the the land that sustains us. And so I wanted to write a book that that celebrated soil. You know, soil's got microbes in it that make us happy. You know, that mm-hmm. they, they were using on cancer patients to improve their mood, you know, the antidepressant effect of, of soil microbes. And you get that effect whether you're walking in a garden or, you know, um, uh, eating, a, eating a, a, a piece of lettuce from the garden. But, you know, it's got, it provides over half our antibiotics. It, it's it's, it's a, an amazing, you know, soil microbes make rain. You know, mm. so yep. there's a lot of talk about how soil can help uh, ameliorate the effects of climate change, but it can actually affect weather, mm. you know, and, and the fact that we don't recognise this and we don't celebrate this. And then also at the same time as recognising that and get excited about what it can do for us, realise that we are ruining it at an unprecedented rate. Mm. Um, I felt that that was the book I wanted to write, not not about how to improve your not, sandy not soil. Techie, yeah, yeah. So it's not a how-to book. It's a... It's a let's get fucking excited about it. Let's get excited book. about it. And then also, once we're excited about it, then we'll care about it. Yeah, because it, it isn't inert. It isn't dead. Um, it's, 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 it's this wondrous ecosystem under our feet. Um, that reminds me of a quote from David Pocock the other day. He said, you know, you can't... If you can't love something you don't understand. You know, you, yeah. you know and... And it's you know case in point. If we if we understand and appreciate and revere soil, then we can really love it and go. Well, you know what? This is this is a this is this needs to be a two way thing here. You know, yeah. it's giving me so much. Yeah, and and understand. Well, uh, that's a great quote. I was did just for a moment think. Well, I do I fully understand my wife, Sadie. Um, but I love her <laughs> unconditionally. So the, you know, yeah. Oh, it doesn't. It's not about people. It's no, not about it's, people. No. no, but I think. But understanding the complexities and mm. the nuance and the interactions. Yes, he, I mean, yeah, he's entirely right. And how could you? How can you care about something that you've never, to a large extent, even considered? Like most people have never even considered that it matters, mm. let alone how much it matters. Mm. Um, When's that coming? I'm t- I'm, you've got me excited about this book now. No, not that I wasn't before, but when, so June, when is it coming? Oh, uh, August, yeah, June, uh, early, July. early July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think awesome. 2nd of July is the official, official date. And, you know, it's, it's a very um, 
I have to say, I, I've told people I'm writing a book about soil and, um, you know, there's this sense of um, some people just look at me like, oh, my God, that sounds like the most <laughs> boring book ever. And, I, I mean, I hope it's not boring. I've really tried to make it interesting because I am – there's a topic that I'm so um, – you know, I, I've become so fascinated mm. by, and be, become so energised by, and 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 what I was trying to do, I guess, was to to, to like you, you, you seem to get it. That, you know, this is this, this is exciting. This is something we, mm. we, that should be great, and it's not for the grower, the gardener, for the farmer necessarily. I think they'll all get amazing stuff out of it, but it's for every person on earth who eats, who you know, to to really understand. The, the important role that soil plays in our lives and that we have the we have mechanisms to make great soil and we have the mechanisms to ruin soil mm-hmm. and we as a society as a as a as humans on the globe have to make decisions from the micro to the macro um, that build or restore or at least preserve soil and don't ruin it because we, you know, we, we're growing the least nutrient-dense food in history as we ruin soil. Like it's, yeah. not, like we're, it's not like we're ruining soil. And, and you know, so by some estimates, we lose nine kilograms of topsoil for every breakfast, every lunch, and every dinner that every human on earth eats. It's crazy numbers, absolutely crazy numbers. And we're not doing that growing super nutrient-dense food. Food. There's we're, no sort of offset. For, no, you know, no, like, no. Yeah. We're growing. We're growing such. You know, right. That it's, we've never grown such nutrient poor food mm. in all of human history. So the system has gone a little bit broken. But the great news is, the whole time, some people have been ruining soil. Some people have been growing soil and replenishing soil. And we now know through science and research and looking back through the you know historical record. Um, where we made the mistakes and we know how to fix the mistakes and we know how to do it better. And I think that's, that's the message that I want people to get is that, you know, just care about it. We'll, you know, get good farmers on board, good people on board, and the, you're doing the world a favour, you're doing your family a favour you know, at the dinner table in terms of pleasure and you're doing your bodies a favour. Uh, you know, it's win, 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 win. And that's the message we were getting loud and clear the last couple of days from farmers and and everyone really wasn't it that that's you know examples of this this is this can be done like it's not as though it's a it's not a pipe dream it's like oh the scientists reckon we can and but these guys are going whether it's a Joel Salton sort of model or it's Chris Eggert with his dairy just going you know I don't want to do this shit anymore I want to change mm. why I'm doing it so it's been yeah. wonderful yeah and I think and I think you know it's really so in a sad in a way to hear Chris uh, Chris's story where what when he changed. You know, he was, he was, people made fun of him. And instead of just looking over the fence and going, oh, well, he'll, you know, he yeah. might make it work, might not, but whatever, they active, actively tried mm. to undercut him and to belittle him. And he, he physically, you could see the emotions all these years later still rattle him physically and he still feels the pain of that. Mm. And it's really odd that, that farmers, of, uh, you know, some farmers must have felt the need to, must have felt threatened or couldn't couldn't just feel that oh well let's see what happens let's see mm. if there's a different way if he if it's a stupid idea he'll go broke and we'll get to watch him and then maybe we'll laugh help at him yeah well, well yeah we'll get laugh at him later but why why make it hard from the start when someone's just having a crack at something a little bit different because yeah well and especially if you look at the way 
agriculture is gone, we know doing things different probably couldn't be worse mm. than some of the practices that we've been doing. So, so trying it a different way when you're already doing – when you're ruining soil at the rate that we have – this is not to demonise farmers. I mean, we did things because of the, what, the technology we had and what we thought was right at the time. But when we realise that we're ru- ruining soil, then why would you make fun of someone who thinks, oh, maybe I could do it a different way and not ruin soil? Turn, turn that around. Yeah. And he's such a lovely fella too, I have to say. Chris, I went to uni with him and have known him for a long time and I've sort of, you know, we lost touch there for some years but then seen a lot of him the last couple of years and I'm so proud of him, the way he's just... And he's been becoming a bit of a mentor in that industry as well. You know, oh, that's so great to hear. I didn't get a chance wonderful. to talk to him. He, he seemed like a lovely man. Oh, he's a good fella. Um, Matt, one last one. We're running over time, but that's okay. Um, I just want to thank you for your your previous book, On Eating Meat. I often quote it when I not have to, but when I feel it's appropriate given some discussions I sometimes have with people. Um and it's a number of stats in there I pull out. One is the ducks, you know, and the rice mm. in Victoria and the number of ducks that, that sort of get dispatched every season. And the other one is the whole idea around um, cats and wildlife and the, and the suffering. You know, I, mm. I think that it was, it's so poignant and such a really simple example to give people who um, might be liking to argue about the pros and cons of eating meat and rearing animals um, – and that to me is wonderful because the starting point is: Are we here to reduce suffering? Yes. Well, consider this. You know, it's, it was so. Thank you for putting that in. So, um, in language, is so understandable and 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 so succinctly and and beautifully written. So, thank you. It's a Pleasure. it's a bit of a go to go to book for me. Um, talking about go to, you better go to and have your dessert. I know. We're it missing up. it. I can, they, I can hear the carousing from here. They're having a good time without us. <laughs> oh, there's none left. <laughs> Matthew, thank you again very much and um, lovely to catch up with you finally. And oh, we met briefly a couple of years ago, but we'll catch up again um, down at Fat Pig Farm. I'm stinging to get down yeah, there. Yeah, come and see us. You'd totally. Shannon Kelly, welcome to your chapel. The yeah. chapel here. <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? It's Beautiful. End of day two at the uh, Farm to Plate Exchange. Um, the regionality farm to play exchange. I must remember to drop that in the ground again. Rose has been, um, and the team have been uh, very generous in um, giving the opportunity to, to speak with you and a number of other presenters um, over the last couple of days, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, um, welcome, welcome to the chapel that um, we were all sitting in a few hours ago listening to, to the, Matthew Evans. The chapel of the regenerative journey, hey? That's it. This is it. <laughs> the, the, it is the church of the, the regenerative journey. That's it. Shannon, you were um, – you spoke uh, – I have to um, uh, I have to think about it now um, – today. Yeah. Today? It yeah, was. Yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. And um, what struck me about your, um, your story – and your session was, to go to my notes here, price takers, going from price taker to price maker. Mm. That was a sort of the theme of the, um, of the session there. And you had, what was really cool, I think you might agree, was Joel Salton yeah. kicked off the session. Yeah, that's it. Tell me how, so he was obviously virtual. He was sitting in his um, office in Swoop, mm-hmm. Virginia, <laughs> um, at 12 o'clock at night. Yeah, <laughs> about probably about five hours past his bedtime. <laughs> he probably goes to bed when the sun goes down. Yep. Tell me what, because um, you did talk about 
um, not just your journey, but the inspiration that Joel Joel has um, had given you. Can you tell us a bit about put that in the context, if you would. Yeah. So as I said today, there, there was a couple of defining moments, um, and I'll start straight off the bat by saying I'm a first generation farmer. So I guess I'm the kind of example, and when I say myself, my wife, and children, and friends and family as well, but we're the example of uh, how it's possible to get into this farming caper and um, be successful and you don't have to come from a a line of farmers. So there's so many avenues to be successful in agriculture, I believe, and you just got to have a bit of guts and a bit of of stickability, (laughs) and uh, we've certainly had that. But yeah, so I found Joel uh, in the the textbook uh, cliche way on the YouTube videos and uh, reading some of his books. Uh, You Can Farm was one of the first ones I found, which uh, introduced me to regenerative agriculture and um, and uh, helped me fall in love with being a steward of creation. Yeah, you you told a little uh, story uh, um, uh, today, or it might have been actually um, uh, Rose. Um, she uh, articulated that, that that was a was a bit of a catalyst for you. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So so we 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 lived in suburbia, um, and we had our own backyard, uh, Sydney. Uh, Central Coast, Central Coast. Okay, in between cool. Newcastle yep. and Sydney, yeah. yep. and we had uh, we had a backyard full of um, food that we were growing, uh, and I was all about showing nature to my kid and um, my my boy Rye, and um, we have two kids, and I was taking him out the back in a thunderstorm, and I wanted to. We heard this frog croaking, and I wanted to show him, you know, the wonders of nature, and um, and and bring him along that beautiful journey. And um, we got up to the fence where where we could hear the frog croaking and it was something out of the movies, I swear. <laughs> it was the most bizarre experience because I heard this sound and looked over the fence and it was my neighbour who was spraying it with fly spray. And I said, Shane, what are you doing? He goes, oh, it was keeping me up at night. <laughs> and at that very moment. At that very moment. And it was one of those bizarre moments. It doesn't sound like much at the moment, but I went away from that situation and it and it got me thinking about the disconnect we have with our natural surroundings and our environment and how I didn't want that for my family. So what we did is we we put it out there that we wanted to find a farm or at least look after some land and, and give a different uh, life for our children. And that was what started our journey onto a farm, uh, farm life and a simpler life. And then the business kind of grew out of there. Can we go back to your comment there, which is which is great, and uh, I, I sort of uh, um, agree if that's the right word to drop in there. You know, you were a first, you are a first generation farmer. Mm. You know, and and you know, many many wise farmers have said um, that's 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 the best asset. You know, you have is not being a farmer. Yeah, you haven't seen my worlds when I first started. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, Your duck shit world. Yeah. <laughs> I don't show anyone those worlds, or I don't show anyone my uh, first fence repair jobs. But yeah, there was there was a lot of. I think there's a lot of positives to to coming into farming and and not having preconceived ideas and be stuck in. Um, this is the way it's, it's it's done. I was I was a very much an open canvas that I could take elements from Joel and Polyface Farm and from Gabe Brown and. Um, and all all the heroes and mentors that we've I've read books and followed along their journey, and adapted it to our holistic context as well for what we wanted for our family. So it was great in that way. And of course, there's disadvantages. You know, I had to learn a lot. I had to learn by making mistakes a lot of the a lot of the time. Uh, but as I said today, 
the, the probably the most profound thing that I learnt from Joel was when people asked him why Polyface was successful when others weren't, and his words were, "We just didn't quit when everyone else did." And yeah. so that's been the mantra we've taken in with um, how we've approached things. That I just won't quit. I won't stop until we are a successful business, and I can hand on a legacy to my children and they can see that farming is such a beautiful and noble profession and that there's a career and that there's a financial gain to be made from it as well. Just to give people a sense of what you're doing now, what you're, tell, tell us what you're, what you're producing. What, what are some that you've gone from um, urbanite duck shit welder to, <laughs> to you know, amazing food producer? What, what, what are, where are you up to with it now? Yeah, so we, we farm 53 acres of our own land, but we manage next door's 50 plus another 45 down the road. So it's a pretty small scale. Um, but we, uh, we have anywhere roughly around about 80 to 100 head of cattle and we produce grass-fed and finished beef. Uh, we have pasture-raised meat chickens, so roughly about 1,000 meat chickens on the farm at a time. They're a part of our fertiliser program. We move them all the time regularly onto new ground. Uh, we have at the moment uh, 1,200 layers. So we have... we sell eggs and um, to, to our retail customers and to cafes as well. Uh, and we do pasture-raised pork and we outsource all different, different stuff that we're not interested in growing, such as lamb. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>. Charlie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, so is that nearby? Are there just other yeah. good farmers are doing? Yeah, yeah okay, friends cool. that we know and trust. Yeah, unreal. Yeah, and we sell their products for them as well through our um, distribution network, so. And you had a, um, I want to pounce on you at some other time to discuss it some f- further, but you had an on-farm butchery. It's brand new. Oh, so, hey. oh it, is, it is now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we've oh, okay. just kind of come through right. that, um, of getting it established. We've got a, an amazing full-time butcher on now. And so what the reason why we chose to do that, everyone thinks that we've done that because we wanted to save money on our cut-up fees for all our meat. But actually the, the, the main reason is product control. Um, so, mm. look, we loved our butchers in town, but they've got their own thing. They would be serving customers and then they'd turn to the left and quickly hack up our meat. And the care uh, from the, 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 the animal that's not alive anymore wasn't there that we were giving in the paddock. And that was the missing link. So we've got George in our butcher shop now and we're value-adding products. So we're, we're doing a lot more products that are, are quick and easy meals, such as gluten-free chicken snitties for you know families yeah. on the run yeah, cool. and that's been amazing for our for our growth of our business and having more to offer customers but then just simple stuff how he cuts steaks and he he takes off the parts that don't eat well and watching him do that and explain it to me as a farmer that's the stuff that you know mm. really made me feel like we've we've finally got to where we want to get to because of that control and that care in the product was it hard to find a butcher he found us. Yeah, he he was over the conventional butcher shops and he wanted to, he was working out at a farm out near Merriwar and he wanted to move back closer to where he was on the coast. But he didn't want to work in a standard butcher shop. He wanted to be working one-on-one with a farmer. So, you know, when we've got cattle ready to go to the abattoir, I jump him on the quad and we go down and we, we have a look and we're, you know, checking for finishing qualities of the animal and, um, and chatting about what we might do with that particular animal. And to him, that is... That's where he wants to be as well. So, that's awesome <clears throat> that you've got you've given him that opportunity for him to express his full butcherness. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, because otherwise it's like you know, carcass comes in the door, chop it up, out it goes. Yeah, you know, I'd imagine that'd be pretty. Uh, well, you now giving him the opportunity to do it, do, do what he's doing. That's 
you know, the sense of purpose and fulfilment, I imagine, would be immense. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he's and he's still got that contact with our customers. We yeah. have we have our, our food clubs where we go around to different suburbs, like the Polyface model, where we all the customers in that suburb come and um, buy off us. Yeah. And one of those locations at the moment is on the farm. So every second Thursday he has customers coming and chatting to him yeah. and he's connected still with his customer, which is important to him as well. That's awesome. And I, we mentioned coming down here <clears throat> to the chapel, uh, <laughs> but your generosity in telling everyone you know, what you do, even down to the you're telling everyone about the, the text message you send out now before you get to the mm. location for you. I mean, even that, that's just wonderful that... Um, your your the, and thank you for sharing those stories. So that's because yeah. this is the vibe, not just of the conference, but that I'm seeing, and no doubt you have too. That you know, people are willing to share their stories and 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 sort of help people navigate their own journeys and help them avoid making mistakes that they don't necessarily have to make mm. because they've been made by by someone else. So that is that what you see, and you know, is that sort of because you're sort of when did your journey start? How many years ago now? We've been on the farm for six years, but I've, I've been full-time for coming up to four years now. And you said, um, what were you doing before that? <laughs> before the frog incident? Yeah, before the frog incident. I was, uh, would you call it, there's lots, a jack of all trades, but I was an office boy for a little bit of time. Uh, so that's to all you office uh, wannabe farmers out there, it's possible. Mm, <laughs> um, but I was also um, a musician, so I was a jazz musician, so... And you're still a jazz musician. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've retired and full-time farming now, so I'm not doing... Have you seen the video of the, some old mate out there with his, with his saxophone in, in the... Have you seen that one? In uh, the paddock? Calling the cattle? Yeah. The trombone, yeah. Tr- the trombone, was it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it must be like a little jazz troop just sort of turned, stopped at the bus and said, hey, let's see what happens. Let's and that's happens. Fa- if you haven't, I don't know what you'd Google, trombone, cattle, something, but it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Not surprising. It's, it's beautiful good. and... Inquisitive creatures. Yeah. Shannon, let's go to the conference. Any nuggets of gold that you heard, dug up and went, oh, my God, that was really cool. You know, any sort of epiphanies, any revelations from the last couple of days that really stand out? (sighs) And if you want to sort of mention your favourite presenter, if there's, you know, so I don't want to, you know, you might be accused accused of (laughs) favouritism and that's fine, but if there's anyone who, like, really stood out, don't be shy. Chris, Oxhill Organics, he's yeah. a legend, man. Yeah. He's a legend. There, but the whole place was filled with legends and everyone had their different angle um, and how they approached. Like I've, I've read Call of the Reed Warbler, so obviously Charlie Massey is a, a big inspiration for me. So to see him in person was fantastic. Um, but just for, for me personally, it was, it, was the, it was the little details that I got out of the event as well so it's it's like the discussion we had it's it's exactly it's exactly what the word said it was a farm to plate exchange Mm. and the exchanging of ideas so when when i went on this journey in the last four years some of the trickiest part is actually just developing your third party services and and knowing where to look for the right uh right product or the right person and, and building that relationship so this this t- the two days that we've had the the power was in just that connection with other farmers and with other little secrets that we could share with each other and and like you said that collaboration was the the theme throughout the whole thing it's not competition it was collaboration and and I believe that's where we all need to be as regen farmers. Um, we've still got a bit of time. Any any other any other sort of nuggets of gold? Any you know any any sort of take homes that you heard? Went I'm going to go and do that. 
you know, any sort of, oh, oh I'm going to follow up with a phone call to someone or a, a book I'm going to read? Yeah, so there was a, there was a fair bit of talk on um, one area that's missing from our sector is is getting some sort of uh, meaty, pardon the pun, nutritional backing from what we're doing and why it might be different to conventional food. So I think that's an emerging space. And if, if we can look at uh, how we could use that in a, in a, in a positive and, and uh, honest way, how we could use that for our marketing and actually have the evidence to say that this food is more nutrient dense. So there's a lot of chat about that. And uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of room for growth within that. And that would be amazing for us that we've like I said today, that unfortunately, as as history will repeat itself and regenerative agriculture will be adopted by the industrial corporates and they will find that that's the buzzword and they'll take that and the waters will muddy and we have to be better prepared. We have to be, we have to be on the front foot and we have to think a couple of steps ahead and, and one of those areas, I believe, is uh, is is around testing the quality of our food. So, it's well, it's not the ultimate as. Um Matthew Evans was was talking uh, before about you know the the really the only taste the only testing me- you know device we need is our mouth our oh palate, true you know yep. I mean which is which is one thing and I, I I love that that is such you know it's a lovely subjective thing because taste is often a reflection of nutrient density but um, and that comes back to educating the customer as well that's right because not just the taste it's also the appreciation the whole. Mm. Um, the story, you know, there's and there's taste there, you know, there's it's you know selling the sizzle, not just the sausage. So, and there's also the um, the the more objective measurement that you were just you know um, uh, talking about that that is for me more important than how it was produced because you can pretty much guarantee if it's nutrient dense, it tastes fantastic, you know, whether you know it's, it's tested and it's this much nutrients and and no chemical or very little chemical residue. Then clearly the the practices that are being used to gr- create that are, are good ones. Yes, you know. So that's sort of like a. Are you certified in any way? No, so, no, no, just and customer certified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Certified, like, well, Joel's you know certified by community. That's yeah. Amazing. That's so right. your your reason for that? I'm not certified either, by the way. So uh. this is this is not like I'm not creeping <laughs> it's up. Not confessions. Into, no, <laughs> we are in a chapel. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, we're not certified. Um, we've chosen. Uh, We've chosen not to because uh, I believe there's something more powerful and that's having a direct relationship with your customer. And you can have your cake and eat it too. So I think you can have both and that's mm. great. At the moment for us, we we just want to be have integrity with everything we do from what we tell our customer to how we treat that animal. And, so, and we want to bring our customers along in that journey. So, um, yeah, the, the, the transparency has being developed over the years by telling our story and bringing customers out to our farm to see what we do as well. So that's, I guess that's our certification. I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some great stuff happening with uh, Land to Market is a very exciting um, concept that's gaining some traction. Uh, and, yeah, let's see what happens down the track. But mm-hmm. for the moment, it's a, it's a one-on-one relationship, a genuine relationship with my customer and on the hard days when you had a rough day farming to go and see your customers in Selton, that's what kicks me up a gear. So I love that, and our, our customers love knowing their farmer as well. Well, you're providing wonderful service, um, Shannon, not just the food um, as a you know, source of nutrients, but a lovely story and, as you say, you know, that, that, um, that you know, people are longing for that connection 
you know, via food and just getting to meet you either on farm or at the, your little sort of buyer groups thing. That's that's a great service that um, I hope becomes a much more normal thing, and especially mm. for their kids. You know, their kids going, oh, well, yeah, we don't go to the supermarket. We go to this someone's garage yeah. and every two weeks and get a box full of yummy stuff. Yeah. You know, that, if that's becoming normal, that's a, that's a really good thing. Yeah, the, the food clubs are working really well. Um, like I said, it's great for the farmer, but it's also good for the, the customer as well. Um, and if anyone wants any information, just reach out. I'm happy to share any of that. But like you said, with the text messages, it's it's such a trivial little thing, but we they sign up on our website for a text service for the suburb they live in. We rock up and we send a text out the day before. It says, hey, your food club's on. Here's what we've got available. Card or cash, rock up and grab what you want. And then the key is another text message an hour before mm. they the, the club starts. And I reckon that that last text message, a half an hour to an hour before the, the, the food club in that particular suburb, brings in 30 to 40% more sales because everyone's busy taking little Jimmy to soccer and they get that message, oh, that's right, I've got food clubs Shit. today, and Shit. they rock up. And so... Uh, I know that's such a, a minute detail, but I, I would I love to share that with you with you and your listeners that if you do look at setting up some sort sort of buying club or drop points, uh, think about your communication with the customer. There, you, you have to get that communication right, and I've found that texts are a great way for reminders for them. Um, so, especially new customers, we're nursing them through until they're comfortable with buying from us. <coughs> you just give me a really good idea. All right. Because no, it's great. It's awesome because <laughs> we have um, graduates of our biodynamic workshops, and we also have um, uh, yeah, and, and Patreon members for our, for the regenerative journey, and we send emails out to do for their their monthly gra- graduate webinars, right? Yep. So it's an email we send out the week before and so on. But just thinking, maybe I'll actually if I've got their details, work out. We've just got this new platformy thing. We're trying to get get our head around. Yeah. And um, maybe that's the thing to do is actually send them, you know, oh, you know, the grad webinar's on in an hour's time. Yeah, well, on. I think the stats is that people, I, I, I don't know the stats for how long it takes people to read an email, but I think it's within 30 seconds for a text message text, that someone that's it. reads it. Bang. Yeah. Shannon, that's gold. Oh, that, that's that's <laughs> a bit of that's a bit of, <laughs> that's a bit of gold I've just dug up, uh, mate. That's been wonderful. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sort of really. You were saying before you haven't really done this sort of thing before into a conference um, sort of context and and shared your story at this sort of in this sort of forum. I think you need to do more of that. If the <laughs> opportunity arises, don't fight the urge to do it because it was a really compelling, compelling story. And um, and the more we can you know, share these stories and your story, then that's that's wonderful because, you know, it's and, and the, there's, there's a theme that this conference and elsewhere is, you know, you and others are sharing, you are demonstrating it can be done. It's not like some scientist is saying, oh, we should do this or, mm. you know, the theory of it and, you know, yes, there's plenty of books about it, but just you've been up there and you shared that and it's like, okay, that's, you know, that's, 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 it can be done. You know? Can be done. Yep. But even by an office boy, even an office boy can do that. You know it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, and thanks for being so generous with your time. And thanks for having me on, Charlie. You're an inspiration, and you're a good man, and you're doing great things. Well, thank you. Feelings mutual, and uh, I look forward to hearing this on the airwaves. Uh, you know, in a week or two, I'll be uh, probably doing deliveries to Sydney or something, and listening to myself. <laughs> That's going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Might be the first time. Bye, Shannon. Thanks, mate. That's awesome. Charlie. Wonderful chats there with some amazing people and just a beautiful way to wrap up the two days of the Farm to Plate exchange there at Bow Desert. 
well done, Rose Wright, and your amazing team. It was um, just the, the atmosphere, the uh, the very collegiate and sharing and generous nature of everyone who presented and all the attendees. I trust we can do this all again. Next week uh, is Darren Doherty, um, fellow I have known for a little while now. I've been following him, and he is, um, as Joel Salton's uh, Joel Salton says, and I don't doubt him for a minute, the world's um, uh, best hydrologist. <clears throat> and I think he's probably fair, fair enough to say that is indeed correct. We talked about all sorts of cool stuff. His um, his life, um, you know, growing up down there in Victoria, his um, escapades all over the place. <laughs> and um, I tell you what, talk about a bloke who's jammed a lot in his life. Um, the creation of agrarians, um, the way he brings together holistic management, permaculture and, and key line, all sorts of really interesting uh, synergistic regenerative practices into um, a number of different packages and training. <clears throat> Lovely bloke, um, such a handle on... Um, geology primarily and life and so um, really enjoyed the reasonably long chat with Darren he loves a chat and I hope you enjoy the chat with Darren Doty as much as I did this podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media if you enjoyed this episode please feel free to subscribe share rate and review for more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.